Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts. Leading the league in podcasting entertainment. Welcome in, my friends, to another episode of Behind the Pen. My name is Mike Rankin, and I will be your host for tonight's show, and I am by myself. Just me tonight. I'm going to be talking to you about a plethora of different topics, mainly because I don't want Ricky Widmer here next to me. Just kidding, Ricky. You're welcome on Behind the Pen anytime, anywhere, whenever you want. You're the man, even though I hate you. But tonight, there's something off about tonight's show, and that definitely relates to Jose Fernandez's passing, a young sports icon who's really was, didn't even enter his prime and yet dominated the league, his game, and for Major League Baseball to lose somebody as such a prominent figure such as Jose Fernandez, it just kind of hits me really hard, probably harder than it should have, but I'm going to talk about that tonight. Other somber news and, and topics on hand include the Chicago Bears because they make me sad. Behind the Pen always has your Bears topics, but before I get into everything else, as well as some Cubs talk, I'm going to talk Cubs. So I'm going to get into a lot of that, but I'd like to start by plugging the necessities as always. Remember, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Most Valuable Podcast. We're, we're getting there, guys. You guys are the best. Thank you for commenting, sharing, listening, clicking. You're the, you're the blood in our veins. This is why we do it for you. Also, be sure to subscribe to, is it subscribe or follow? I don't even know. Follow us on Instagram and, and Twitter, Most Valuable Pod. We have that now. Also, be sure to become a Patreon, patreon.com backslash Most Valuable Podcast. It's super important to us. If you give us a small donation, we will provide more content for you. If you love us as much as we love you, we're here for you. So whoever is Patreon and future Patreons, thank you very much. But all right, let's get this show started. And we're going to open with Jose Fernandez. And I just want to say, obviously I didn't know him in any sort of fashion. I just, I just watched him on TV. I know somewhat of his story, and that's pretty much it. But I felt like I knew Jose Fernandez. His attitude and the way he carried himself, and he was just a, he always had a smile on his face. You think about Jose Fernandez and you don't see him not smile. You can't picture him without a smile. And really the, the image that continues to go replaying over and over in my head is I've seen this, I've seen this video so many times on the internet, and a lot of people could probably relate to this, but it was when he was 20 years old, his first year in the league, facing Troy Tulowitzki in Miami while Tulowitzki was still on the Rockies, and Tulo hit a screaming line drive back up the middle, and Fernandez just reached up. His instincts and quick reflexes were able to catch a ball that probably 99 out of 100 people could not have caught, and he just did. And Tulo was so surprised. Yeah, he stood at home plate after he hit it, and he was just like, are you serious? Like, did you really catch that? And Fernandez, you know, there he is, smiling, nodding, saying, yes, he did. Yes, 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 I did. I did catch that, actually, Mr. Tulo. And you got to remember, this is one of the best hitters in the game, and Fernandez is having fun with him. And usually he did have fun 
with a lot of people uh, when he was pitching. You could tell by his demeanor. He had a nice relationship with a lot of players. Everybody respected him. I want to talk about Jose Fernandez, the baseball player, initially, because this man was so impressive. We'll, we'll get to Jose Fernandez, the person, his story of how he came to America and was able to get a chance to play Major League Baseball is truly incredible. So I'm going to talk about that real quick. Jeff Passan, I believe of Yahoo, wrote a very great piece. It's on my Twitter at Rankin906 if you want to check that out. It's still probably on my timeline. I retweeted it a little bit ago. But you guys got to check that out. It's a very, very well done story. It does Jose Fernandez some justice as the person. But as the player, this man took the league by storm almost immediately. He spent one season, I mean, he had two starts when he was 18 after he was signed with the Marlins. But at age 19, that should be considered his one full minor league season, and he absolutely obliterated the competition there. In 25 starts, and this is his, remember, full season, his first full season in America pitching for a major league organization. 25 starts, hit a 1.75 ERA. Now, I don't know if you care about wins and losses, but he went 14-1. and one. In 134 innings, he gave up 89 hits, 28 runs, 26 were earned, only two homers, struck out 158 while walking only 35. His strikeout per nine was almost 11. That is unheard of. And this is, this is just scraping the surface of the talent. And the Marlins knew right away. The Marlins were like, okay, we can't keep this kid down for another season. Are you serious? His stuff was so dominant that it would just do him injustice, we'll call it, to keep him in the minor leagues for one more season. Fernandez's repertoire was something out of a freaking novel. Like, if you're going to craft a starting pitcher and you have the type of movement and bite that his pitches have, this is it right here. This is the guy. He had a four-seam fastball that averaged around 96 miles an hour, a dominating hard curve ball that sat around 85, and his changeup, you talk about a 96-mile-an-hour fastball, his changeup with exclusive downward action sitting at 89 miles an hour, you're not going to be able to hit that. You're not going to be able to hit that. He didn't have a cutter, but he had something just as good, and that was his sinker, a 93-mile-an-hour sinker. You're talking about a heavy fastball with downward movement at 93. What? How can anybody hit that with the combination of a changeup that is about 7 miles an hour different than your fastball? And that's huge. This is a hard-throwing pitcher, and he combines it with a slow curve that sits at 75 miles an hour. So he has all of that in his repertoire to keep hitters off balance. And it's one of those things where you can dominate. And we, and he, we saw it. He did. He was an all-star in his first season at 20 years old. That was when he faced Tulo, caught that screaming line drive, and kind of laughed about it. I mean, he was just he was just such a happy guy, and you could see it. Now, I'm not a Miami Marlins fan. I actually despise the Marlins, and that's mainly because of 2003, with the, what happened in the NLCS, the Chicago Cubs. We're not talking about that. We'll probably never talk about that again. But if I knew that Jose Fernandez would be out of the league at 23 years old, after spending just four years and just scratching the surface, I'd probably watch more Miami Marlins baseball. I'd probably watch every single one of his starts because they were special. 
They were absolutely special in his first season. 28 starts, 172 and two-thirds innings. He had a 2-1-9 ERA. He was third in Cy Young Award voting at 20 years old. And he won Rookie of the Year. He led the league in hits per nine, giving up less than six at 5.8. His strikeout-to-walk ratio pretty much carried over from the minor leagues to the major leagues in, in one season. He struck out 187 in 172 and two-thirds innings and only walked 58. Gave up only 10 home runs. That's one home run every eight, uh, every 18 innings. So the former 14th overall pick in the 2011 baseball draft by the Marlins earned the right to be their opening day starter in 2014 after winning Rookie of the Year and proved to be one of the dominating pitchers in baseball at 20 years old. He was the youngest opening day starter since Dwight Gooden in 1986, and he recorded nine strikeouts, walked none, and joined Bob Gibson, Steve Carlton, Fergie Jenkins, Walter Johnson, and Cy Young as the only pitcher to do that on opening day. So it's like, wow, this guy is pretty special. Those names we just mentioned, it's pretty pretty special to be in that company, even if it's just one single accomplishment. That's impressive. But unfortunately... An MRI was revealed to show structural damage in his elbow. Ended his season early, needed Tommy John surgery, and didn't come back until 2015, uh, around June. So following the 2015 season, the Marlins were obviously going to be cautious with the innings limit and pitch count and everything that goes into being a starting pitcher in 2016. And in 2016, the Marlins actually found themselves as a very competitive club in terms of the National League playoff race. So that kind of, they wanted to implement a 180 innings limit for Fernandez just to make sure that his elbow was okay and his arm wouldn't fall off. But the Marlins were a good team. And the Marlins needed Jose Fernandez to pitch. And that he did. That he did. Jose Fernandez in his final season threw 182 and a third innings in 29 starts. Racked up a 2.86 ERA. Struck out in astounding guys. Listen to this number. Jose Fernandez, a year removed from Tommy John surgery, struck out 253 hitters. 253 in 182 and a third innings and walked only 55. Are you kidding me? That's not fair. Strikeout per nine was at 12 and a half. That is, that, I, I, that, 253 strikeouts. Dominance. Absolute dominance. Now, I could read you numbers and tell you that Jose Fernandez was a really good baseball player all day, but really, it's his story that intrigues me the most, and this is why it probably hurts so much. Looking at Jose Fernandez, the person, he was a joy. He was a joy, and I mentioned that already, but it's true. At 15 years old, he came from Cuba to the United States after three failed attempts, I believe it was, in trying to come over, and he actually spent time in jail trying to to leave and, and create a better life for his family. On his trip to America, in the middle of the night, he hears splashing. So naturally, he jumps in to try and save whoever's dying. Because death is figuratively staring them right into the face. This is a dangerous trek from Cuba to the United States. I mean, these, these are literally small boats that they're in. 
So in the middle of the night, he hears thrashing in the water, and apparently a woman fell off the boat. He didn't know who it was, but he dove in anyway, naturally, because that's just who he is. And it turned out to be his mom. He saved his mom that night at 15 years old on the trek to the United States. They arrived in Mexico, and then after Mexico, they eventually arrived in Tampa. Three years later, after he arrived in the United States, the Florida Marlins picked him 14th and gave him $2 million, and the rest is history. Baseball needs more players like Jose Fernandez, and it's heartbreaking that he was taken away from the game at such a young age. Not only is it heartbreaking that he was taken away from the game, he was taken away from all of us. He was taken away from his family. He was going to have a baby. His wife is pregnant. Think about that. Think about his family, how they feel. Rest in peace, my friend. You will definitely be missed. On to the next topic here on Behind the Pen, and honestly, this one isn't much happier. It's the Chicago Bears, and they make me sad. They make really the city of Chicago sad because, boy, they're bad. Oh, they're not good. They're not good, and I keep kicking myself for thinking that this team could be competitive, 10-6, and six, possibly a playoff team, wild card spot. Nope. Nope. This, this is just not a good team. There's not enough talent, and I felt like they had a decent amount of depth going into this season, and really, for them to be good, everything really had to fall their way. You know, injuries couldn't have that much of an impact on this team, but it is so far. They lost Kadeem Carey. He's got a hamstring injury. Jay Culler hurt his thumb. I don't think Jay Culler would have made any difference in this offense because Dowell Loggins is an idiot. He's the go. Kyle Long's dealing with... You know what? Honestly, Kyle Long's playing with a torn labrum in his shoulder. Why? Just sit him out at this point. Save him. Save him from being another Pernell McPhee. Pernell McPhee last year, he's, he's still out yelling at Culler on the sidelines in street clothes. He played unnecessarily last season with a knee injury, and now... He's going to be out for the first six to ten weeks. Okay, that's fine. Whatever. His season's over anyway. Jonathan Bullard. He's got a toe injury. Jarrell Freeman. He's probably, he's on the injury report. I only mentioned that because I'm reading off the injury report right now. But he's their best player right now, overall. Defense, offense, he's their guy. Alshon Jeffrey, too. But Jeffrey's dealing with some kind of injury, as he always is. But he's going to play, it looks like. He played last Sunday. Did okay, but they don't get the ball to him enough. They just don't. Jeremy Langford's got an ankle injury. Sherrick McManus has a hamstring. Sherrick McManus, thank God, you're depending on a guy to fill in at corner or nickel in the nickel slot on defense. It's Sherrick McManus. You're in trouble. I mean, he's great special teams-wise, but other than that, ugh, ugh, ugh. I hate it. Willie Young was a limited participant in practice. They lost Lamar Houston for the year. I mean, this is just, this is rough. This is rough. But all right, I want to talk about some things with you guys and some stuff about the Chicago Bears and really what can we look forward to going into this week against Detroit at home. Honestly, they have a chance to win this game. I mean, last year they went 0-3. They won, They beat Oakland for their first win of the year in a Robbie Gold game winner. But now it's going to be Connor Barth, baby. Good as, good as Barth. The inside of 40, but even though he missed his only attempt at whatever, who cares? This is so bad. But anyway, the going into this Lions game, I want to see some sort of identity trying to be established within this offensive play calling system that Dow Loggins has implemented. No matter who's playing quarterback, 
really, it shouldn't matter because you have two all-pro guards and a pretty solid center, and you're not running the ball enough. You bring in Bobby Massey, who's terrible in pass protection. I could bash Massey all day. But in the run game, he's okay. But they're not running enough. So hopefully we see the run. I'm thinking to myself, what if they ran the ball like 50 times with Joyke Bell, newly added Joyke Bell, by the way. He was signed this week because it looks like Langford's going to miss an extended amount of time. So that means Jordan Howard. Jordan Howard's going to get some snaps, and that's a good thing. A lot of positives I saw from Jordan Howard last week. He caught the ball well out of the backfield, and he was able to read the gaps pretty well. He was able to hit the holes. He did okay. I'm looking to see progression from young players. As you, If you guys have checked out my reaction videos, I'm going to do that every week. Thank you very much for checking that out. But I mentioned, really, I was impressed with these young players, and I want to see that. I, I guess Nick Kwiatkowski played for the first time all season. He was the first time he was healthy, I believe. I want to see more players like him on the field. I mean, these are guys, This is I'm, I'm getting flashbacks. Guys being signed off the street to just jump in and start. I've never heard of them. Can I ask you guys this? Who the hell was number number 22? He was a corner. Yeah, it might, he was in the secondary. But he, he was on the field last week against the Cowboys, and I, I, I don't know who that is. And I'm too lazy to look up the depth chart because I don't care enough. But I care enough to ask you guys, please, help me out. Because I, I want to know. Because like, I had a pretty decent understanding of how this roster was shaped up. And suddenly we lost eight starters against, was it Philly? It was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. This team is, is kind of blue right now. And I don't know. We talk. We can talk about tanking. We can talk about getting a high draft pick all we want. But realistically, this team, they can't be as bad as what they are now, right? They could win five to seven games this year, right? I mean, the, their schedule isn't isn't tough. I mean, they they probably ran into their toughest stretch already in Houston, Dallas, and Philly. You look ahead to to Detroit. They have to play Indy. Well, they're not gonna even come close to be I am so not looking forward to them when they play the Vikings because that defense is so fierce and they're going to get to the quarterback so often it'll be like what was it whatever the year was when Jay Culler got sacked eight or seven times in the first half on Sunday Night Football against the New York Giants I'm afraid that it's going to be whoever's starting against the Vikings it's going to be the same story because they can't do anything they can't do anything and I I am so very close, guys, to jumping on the fire Dowell Loggins train because it, it really bothers me. Really, his offensive play calling. You're talking about you're talking about having a guy with an offensive play style. Really, to be an offensive coordinator in this league, you have to be kind of creative. And really, you, you look at Dowell Loggins and he's just calling plays for the sake of calling them, right? I mean, in theory, like a bubble screen would work, and maybe it works in practice, but... I mean, you get into the game, and it's it's third and five, and you, you split out your running back, and he's running three yards out and not even getting to the sticks, and that's the designed play. There was another designed play. I, I forget who it was, too, because I didn't care enough. But <laughs> I keep saying that, and I shouldn't. It's three weeks into the season. Why am I at this point already with the Bears? God, it sucks. But somebody was split out wide, and it was a designed screen pass with two downfield receivers blocking. And it got stuff behind the line, of course, because it was a stupid-ass play call. But it's stuff like that that just makes you scratch your head. It's like, you drafted Kevin White to be 
this athletic down-the-field threat. You have Alshon Jeffrey who can beat a guy one-on-one, even in double coverage. Just throw the ball up in the air, he'll jump up and grab it. He's one of probably a top-five get-up-and-get-it guys in the league, and you're not taking advantage of it. It's stuff like that. Zach Miller... Zach Miller is a very reliable offensive weapon, and you're not getting the ball to him. You're going to get him killed if you throw it over the middle, uh, like in the third or fourth quarter of the Dallas game. I know you guys know what I'm talking about. He got leveled. He got up and, you know, whatever. But still, like, if you, if you, if that's the offense you have planned for Zach Miller, then this team is going to be a freaking, he's going to be injured. It's plain and simple. I was listening to my favorite Chicago sports radio station, 670 The Score. And one of the hosts, Matt Spiegel, came up with this idea that his dream scenario was the Bears to go, what, 3-13 and or whatever, and the Saints to suck. So the Saints would fire Sean Payton, and the Bears would get a high draft pick. They fire John Fox. They draft a quarterback, whether it's Kaiser, Watson, whoever's on the board, whoever, whatever. And they, they bring in Sean Payton, and then this relationship comes together with the newly drafted quarterback and Sean Payton as your head coach. And then he possibly brings in a competent offensive mind well because obviously it's Sean Payton's offense he'd be the coordinator and the play caller but you have someone who's not Dowell Loggins (laughs) you know what I mean so I mean that's something to maybe think about I don't know I mean that's that's probably a pipe dream at this point I don't know I I, I, maybe the Bears win six games again this season but they're definitely regressing guys this is they had so much they have so much more talent too on this team it just doesn't make any sense to me is it is it John Fox? Is he not getting this team ready to play? I have no idea. I have no idea what to make of the Chicago Bears team. I just know that they're not good, and a lot of it has to do with their with their offense. It, it's crazy the discrepancy between number of plays run uh, compared to the other team. You're you're leaving your defense out to dry, and their defense makes games competitive. Honestly, they do. If the offense would just give them a chance, because. The defense, first of all, doesn't have enough talent on that side of the ball to dominate other offenses. Really, other offenses are going to drive down the field on them pretty consistently. But they're really good in the red zone. They're, they're, the Vic Fangio's teams usually are really good in the red zone, but they're not doing well this year in the red zone because they're always there because the offense is going three and out every other possession. So that's what happens. When you have 13 minutes in time of possession in favor of the other team every single week, you're screwed. You're, you're leaving your defense out to dry. I want to see some growth. I want to see some growth within the young players. I want to see the offense take steps to being a legitimate offense. This is not a legitimate offense. This is just a whatever, do whatever. I'm going to do this. I, I, I hope it works. Let's run the ball to the left and hope it works. But let's shy away from the run game despite the fact that we have a decent offensive line that could create some gaps. And you need it because this they don't have a quarterback. I'm sorry, they just don't. That can lead the team on his own to wins. I mean, they have the weapons. Eddie Royal is a very nice weapon when he's on the field. Absolutely. And that's, what, that's what's most frustrating to me. You have a competent offensive coordinator. This team could be okay, maybe. Maybe okay. But right now they're not. They're bad. They're bad. And I'll keep saying that. The Bears haven't beaten the Lions since Lovey Smith was head coach. You guys know that? Isn't that sad? I remember the the Bears had the Lions number for like 14 weeks in a row or something at one point. I mean, they never lost to the Lions. They usually destroyed them. But shoes on the other foot. The Bears have been the laughing stock of Chicago for years now. Years. They fired Lovey Smith after a 10-6 season 
by barely missing the playoff. And why are we in this position that we are today? Because the general manager at the time made the wrong hire, and I will say this over and over again, that was definitely the underlying factor of why the Bears are bad today. Bad drafting has a lot to do with it, and that's on Phil Emery, even Jerry Angelo as well. But not signing Bruce Arians and you pick Mark Tressman, it just sets your franchise back even further. And I said that last week, if you guys checked out Behind the Pen with Dave and Ricky, it was a really good show. I uh, hope to have them on again. But guys, man, this Chicago Bears team, I know a lot of you, I see I see you guys, See a lot of you want them to just be terrible. 0-16, hey, whatever, whatever. But this, the fact of the matter is they're going to probably win games this year. And I hope they, I mean, yeah, I'm rooting for a high draft pick. I hope they get into the top five. I hope they get a top five pick this year. So how many wins is that going to take? Four? Five? Because there's a lot of parity in the NFL. I mean, there's a lot of decent teams out there that are probably going to be middle of the road. So if they end up going like 6-10, and 7-9, and nine, they'll probably have roughly a top 10 pick. Maybe an 8-9. Maybe looking outside of the top 10. But at this point of the season, three weeks in, you're, you're telling me like it's over pretty much. Pretty much. And I had I had all the faith in the world, all the optimism in the world. And once again, the Chicago Bears just stiffed me, as always. What else is new, right? So, Bears, Lions, let me know what you guys think, if they're going to win. If they, what, who, I don't, why am I asking you this? You guys don't want them to win. Nobody wants the Bears to win anymore. Because at this point, you just want to see some change. You want to see something that, they, that we can be positive about. It's been so long since the Bears have... Even one at home, they're one and eight, or what? Whatever. God, so everything is terrible. The Chicago Bears. Yet I have to keep talking about them because that's it. That's how it is. I'm behind the pen. All right. Let me know what you guys think. I'm just gonna go out on the limb and say the Bears win. Why? I have no idea. But it's the Lions. They're gonna be Lionsy somehow. I think this Bears offense kind of develops this consistency in the run game, and who knows? They surprise us. I'll probably be wrong once again, but that's okay. <laughs> I'll be here for you guys in the Bears reaction video after Sunday's game, so be sure to check that out. From one sport to another, let's transition to a topic that's not as depressing as the Chicago Bears, and that's the Chicago Cubs, because this is going to be in October to remember, and I truly believe that this is probably the best Chicago Cubs team I've ever seen. First time they've won 100 games in over 80 years, I believe it was. It's something incredible. This is something special right now, and by the time you guys are listening to this podcast, the baseball regular season will most likely be over. And I can't believe it. Feels like April just started, but 162 games. What a freaking grind. But because of the because the Chicago Cubs clinched so quickly, it was uh September 16th, September 15th, around that range, they were able to manipulate well, yeah, they were still fighting for a home field advantage throughout the playoffs, which they which they clinched pretty early. It's funny. The Cubs clinched home field advantage throughout the playoffs as the best record in baseball before several division winners were decided and several teams clinched the playoffs. This is a testament to how good this team was during the regular season. But as we all know, once October begins, it's a totally new beast and it's going to be tough. No 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 questions asked, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying. This this is probably I'm not fear not really not fearing, fearing anybody. Like this is this is the team that's going to win the World Series and I wholeheartedly believe that. But anyway, let's get into the topic that I have on hand for today's segment of Chicago Cubs baseball and that is to preview the playoff roster. Now, we can I've done enough shows speculating who's going to come out of the National League. 
whether it's the Giants, Mets, or Cardinals. Looks like the Cardinals are falling off. Somehow the Mets are still alive. I just don't understand how the Mets are doing this. And the Giants are lipping their way to the playoffs. So really not totally concerned about anybody in the wild card in the NLDS, even the NLCS. Moving on to that, either it's the Dodgers or the Nationals. I, I feel like they could win a series against both and the World Series. I guess the Red Sox are kind of a threat. And as well as the Rangers. Rangers, I would probably feel, fear a little bit more. I don't think the Indians are seriously anymore. Bay, okay, so I'm, I, I just, you, you, get, you get the picture. But let's preview this roster because really we've seen the Chicago Cubs and Joe Madden put together rosters that resemble spring training lineups. And even Jake Arrieta said uh, last night was at September 28th. He got rocked in Pittsburgh, by the way, in his last start of the season. And he kind of commented on that whole spring training feel because Madden took out the starting catcher in the fifth inning. They, they switched catchers, and I guess Arietta had a little bit of a problem with it, but all I have to say to you, Arietta, is stop getting rocked. I mean, just pitch better, honestly. But I, I do think there's some precedent to having a specific catcher working with a starter, and I'll get into that a little bit later. But we're, we're seeing this lineup, like this lineup today against the Pittsburgh Pirates, to be honest, I can't help but kind of giggle because listen to this. You got Listella leading off, playing third. Albert Almora, who I like a lot, playing center. Russell batting third. Wilson Contreras in left, batting his cleanup. Javi Baez at first. Matt Caesar in right, batting sixth. Tim Fedorovich catching, batting seventh. Muninori Kawasaki at second base, batting eighth. And your starting pitcher is Rob Zestrizny. And you kind of look at it at the surface. It's like, wow, they, this is their this is their B lineup, maybe even borderline C lineup. And there's some solid players in there, like Elmora, Russell, Contreras, Baez, even Caesar. Caesar could probably start for somebody like the White Sox. <laughs> I chuckle. Sorry, White Sox fans, but it's true. But still, like this isn't this isn't a competitive lineup in the terms of the standards the Cubs have played all season. And I mean, is it? Are they taking it easy too much? I mean, there's three games left in the regular season to, to to this point as I record this podcast. I mean, they're just cruising their way into the playoffs. And it, it, it's they haven't played a meaningful game in a long time. In a long time. But I don't think that's going to matter. Once the playoffs hit, it's just full full go. And this team will be fine. But I wanted to talk to you guys about just some of the roster construction that I was just really going through in my head. I was like, there, there's some guys that are going to be left off, and it's going to be unfortunate. So I'm going to run down. Here are some of the, I guess, here are some of the for sure names that are going to be on there. And it looks like the playoff rotation is going to look like, uh, look like this. Lester, Arietta, Hendricks, Lackey. I, I don't see how Lackey and Arietta start games three and four because Lester and Hendricks at home have been so good. Their splits are, are, are honestly kind of dramatically different if you look at it, but so I would have to go Lester, Hendricks. I feel pretty good about that uh, in games one and two in the LDS. And then if necessary, game four, you have Lackey, so that's pretty good. And then a fallback option to Lester in game five. So they're, they're okay, right? In the bullpen, you have Chapman, Rondon, Strope, who's coming back from his injury. Carl Edwards Jr., who has emerged in big spots over and over again, who's proved to be this guy that they can rely on. It's a hard-throwing, 110-pound, soaking wet dude. And you just got to have the feel that he's going to make the roster, as well as Travis Wood, Mike Montgomery. And then there's two remaining, if you're going to go, what is it, 12 pitchers, 13 hitters. So right now I'm looking at Grimm, Cahill, Jason Hamill, 
I mean, you could you could throw in Joe Smith, even though he's bleh, since they picked him up. Spencer Patton, nah, and Felix Pena, probably not. So it'll probably come down to Hamill, Grimm, and Cahill to fill the final three. We'll see how that plays out. It'll be interesting. Right now, I'm going to go Justin Grimm only because Justin Grimm, I know, struggled throughout the season, but in August and September, he really dominated, and it looked like he's the Justin Grimm of old. His breaking ball was very sharp. His fastball had some life again. So, I mean, he was locating uh, his fastball with solid consistency, and that's something, a power pitcher out of the bullpen, because remember, in the playoffs, you could pull your starter after four innings, and you got you got this bullpen that has Wood, Montgomery, a guy like Grimm who can come in, big spot, Strope, whenever, Rondone, who was their closer before they got a role as Chapman. So they got a lot of options here, and it's, it's interesting. I'm not sure what they're going to do with Jason Hamill. I'm really not. Definitely not going to be involved in the starting rotation. They could bring him out of the bullpen, but at that I don't know. It, it, Trevor Cahill versus Jason Hamill, not sure. Trevor Cahill has that natural ability to induce ground ball, double plays, so that's something to keep in mind with the sinker. So I don't know. I probably, man, I don't know, because Jason Hamill, we always have that kind of uh, narrative where his body breaks down in the second half of the season and he just regresses. But overall, yeah, his last few starts have not been good. He was scratched with an injury lately. I'm not sure how serious it was. It just happened. We should keep an eye on that. I'd probably give the edge to Hamill at this point only because of his consistency throughout the season. And I, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'm curious to see how Joe Mann goes on that one. But in terms of hitting, this one is the conversation I'd like to have with y'all. Because the obvious ones, Fowler, Bryant, Rizzo, Zobrist, Hayward, Russell, Wilson Contreras, you just have to have him in the lineup. Jorge Soler, Javier Baez. David Ross, and honestly, we got to implement Chris Coughlin, right? Chris Coughlin's resurged. He was literally the worst position player in terms of Fangraphs War or Bleacher. Or, yeah, it was Fangraphs War while he was with Oakland. Comes to Chicago, and I, it's got to be a comfort thing with Coughlin because he he's doing well with the Cubs once again. He's playing like he was last year throughout the season. He did well. So I got to give him a roster spot, so that just leaves two bench spots open. And that's up for debate. Tommy LaStella, Matt Caesar, Miguel Montero, and Alberto, uh, and Alberto Mora. I love Almora, and I feel like he's going to play a much more prominent role in this lineup next year, especially if Fowler walks away. But I think this year they got to leave him off because there's just – too much value in other spots. Matt Caesar, guys. Matt Caesar's arguably one of the best pinch hitters in baseball. Right-handed bat, pretty valuable. Plays a, a decent outfield position. So, and do you include Caesar? Time of is that contact guy. I know he had that whole incident. I had a show on it where he was doing sprints in his backyard. You know, he didn't want to go to. He didn't want to report to AAA, but eventually did, and eventually got called up. And that whole fiasco was was interesting, but. It was taken care of, and Listella, though, had his struggles coming up and at the end of the season, didn't look too good at the plate, to be honest. I don't know. I think his left-handed contact bat is too valuable to lead off this roster. So that leaves, if you're going to include Listella, but that also means that you have Ross, Coglin, and Listella off the bench, right? Listella and Coglin, two left-handed bats. So then if you're going to include Caesar and Miggy, you're going to have to exclude Miguel Montero because you can't just have another left-handed bat on the... Plus, he's a third catcher. You can't have him on the roster. So I feel like it'll be Matt Caesar, 
But I want to make a case for Miguel Antero because what he, his veteran presence, obviously, and he has a nice repertoire with Jake Arrieta. I don't know if you noticed this. Jake Arrieta pitches very well with Miguel Montero as his personal catcher. And not only that, Miguel Montero has had a pretty solid September and August. He's been hitting the ball much better. And he's had clutch hits as well. It's been one of the worst career seasons for Montero in terms of behind the play. He can't throw anybody out. Defensively, it looks like he's in pain. Still doing okay in terms of blocking. Pitch framing is off the charts. That's one of his strengths. Can't throw runners out. And he struggled vitally at the plate this year all season until the August and September, as I mentioned. But he's one of those guys that I want to see on this playoff roster, so that might cost somebody like Listella or Coughlin a roster spot, but I don't think that's going to happen. So I think it'll be, in the end, Contreras and Ross as your two catchers, but I feel like Miguel Montero needs to be on this team. Let's see. I'm curious, guys. Just let me know your thoughts. Let me know who you think should make... Chicago Cubs roster, this playoff roster. I constructed one. Let me see yours. I want to know. Matt Caesar, Tommy LaStella, Chris Coughlin, Miguel Montero, even Alberto Mora. <laughs> Alberto M. Alberto Mora. Let me know what you guys think. I'm in favor of Miggy. But regardless, the Chicago Cubs team has what it takes to go the distance this October, and I'm so excited to get this thing going. All right, guys. That was it for Behind the Pen for this week. Thank you all for listening, sticking around if you're on Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for hanging on to the entirety of this show. We talked about Jose Fernandez, his unfortunate death. We talked about the Bears, just unfortunately because the Bears are bleh. We talked about the Cubs, potential playoff roster. Going into next week, well, I'll be here as always. But remember, you got to subscribe to our YouTube channel to see more behind the pen and all of our other show content stuff and things and, and whatever that we have for you. It's all on MVP. Go to Most Valuable Podcast on YouTube. Subscribe to our channel. Also follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod. We're on Instagram too. Check that out. I'm at Rankin906 on Twitter. Be sure to give me a follow. I'll probably follow you back. Maybe not. Who knows? All of the most important part, I have to mention this. Become a Patreon, guys. You'll be part of the MVP family, and we really appreciate everything that you do for us. Keep commenting, sharing, listening. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Behind the Pen. And as always, I will see you all next time. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>